It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. So what's going on? Welcome to the show. It is November 12th, 2020. Uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by Jenny and Sean, Rhonda, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace, Lisbeth, JF, Leslie, No Thanos, and Lisa. Uh, thanks so much for becoming patrons of the program. You can as well. You get exclusive content, access to all of the prep work and everything, uh, just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com and clicking on the link. For example, tonight we have our live stream. It's Thursday night, 7 o'clock, we do our live stream, so uh, become a patron and join in the fun. Also want to welcome our newest sponsor of the show, Growers Hemp, based right here in North Carolina. Growers Hemp was created by farmers who knew that they could make small farming work for their families uh, and, at the same time, help people like you and me on our wellness journey. Uh, and so they succeed when everybody else does. That's their business model, actually. Best quality, affordable price for CBD oil. Uh, people take it for all sorts of reasons. I take some drops before I go to bed, uh, and uh, it helps me sleep deeper. I've I, I've never had. I, I'm not. This is not like no joke. I have never slept deeply my entire life. Um, generally, if like maybe if I pull an all nighter and I'm running on you know two hours of sleep over 48 hours, then uh, yeah, then maybe I will I will be out. But generally, I've always kind of woken up throughout the night. I've been a light sleeper. I take CBD from Grower's Hemp, and uh, I sleep so deeply um, that, like, I wake up, I feel great. I feel well-rested, and uh, I don't have any kind of groggy effects that sometimes you may get when you take, like, sleeping pills. Not that I ever really took sleeping pills, but I think, like, the two times in my life when I tried those, I, was, I wasn't I was a fan because I woke up the next day and I was like, ugh, okay, you're just dragging the whole day. So add the natural alternative grower's hemp full-spectrum hemp extract into your daily routine and see what it'll do for you, okay? You're looking for a better quality of life, uh, maybe a balanced state of mind, a positive mental outlook, do I sound more positive? I feel like I'm more positive now. Um, immune system resilience, lower tension. Um, so go to growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE for 20% off. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Uh, which, by the way, you can find Growers Hemp not just online, but also on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby. Uh, you can also find it at the uh, Medical Pharmacy in Locust and the Durham Co-op, growershemp.com. They control the entire process from seed to shelf. That's why you get better quality and lower pricing. Use the promo code PETE and get 20% off growershemp.com. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp is about the hemp, not the hype. So uh, we are, what now, a week removed from the election, and uh, you'll be happy to know that the editorial writer who speaks on behalf of the owner of WRAL's parent company, Capital Broadcast Company, um, who is the former press guy, comms guy for two former Democratic governors in North Carolina, a guy by the name of Seth Efron, um, 
you may be surprised to learn that he believes that Republican General Assembly majorities, they need to do what Cooper wants in the spirit of cooperation. Because really, you can't spell cooperation without Cooper. That's really... I will say he does not make that explicit argument. He doesn't say... (laughs) I am kind of surprised that they haven't uh, sought some sort of branding effort around that. But maybe, I don't know, it really wouldn't work very well because... Well, Cooper doesn't really cooperate very well. So um, this is the uh, this is the same mantra, by the way, that Seth Efron and the Capital Broadcast Company, parent company of WRAL, uh, this is the same argument that they have been making. It's not even an argument. It's a demand. That's all it is. And I really am amazed at how somebody can do the same editorial over and over and over and over again for years and that's acceptable work product. <laughs> it's got to be nice work if you can get it. I feel compelled, and I don't even have a boss. Um, I feel compelled to try to generate new content, like every single day. And this guy just writes the same editorial every single time, which is Republicans are bad. They need to do what Roy Cooper demands of them in order to show us all that they care about us and that uh, uh, there are they are amenable to good governance. Okay. Uh, even after this election, even after this election, this is here. This is the headline. Voters to legislators stop fighting the governor, cooperate, cooperate and compromise. That's their headline, it, like overtly saying, stop doing what you're doing. Stop advocating what you're advocating for and uh, stop fighting with the governor. You need to, quote, cooperate and compromise. There's never a call, by the way, for Cooper to do these things. There's no headline saying, Governor Cooper, you need to cooperate and compromise. They never say that. In their mind, Governor Cooper doesn't need to. You'll you'll find out why in a bit, of course. Um, But I found this really interesting because the entire premise of their editorial today, and again, I feel the need to keep pointing this out. This is a former comms guy for two prior Democratic governors who got hired by the parent company of WRAL. WRAL, which is one of the leading, if not the leading influencer when it comes to television news in North Carolina. Okay, they are they are based in Raleigh. They have their Capitol Press Corps and all this. And. This is the guy they went out and hired that the owner of their company went and hired to write opinion pieces expressing the opinion of the Capital Broadcasting Company. Now, WRAL reporters will tell you, oh, this has no impact on us. But in a leaked or not leaked, it was an email that was sent to the wrong person that there was coordination between this guy who writes the editorials and the news department at some level. So don't tell me, like I've worked in news departments, don't tell me that there's no crossover whatsoever. Now, when people talk about sales and news, there's definitely a wall between those two uh, uh, departments in a news operation, generally speaking, unless you start doing a story that's really bad for an advertiser, then you'll start getting knocks at the door, you know, (laughs) hey, uh, so I see you're going after our biggest, uh, you know, car dealership client. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Uh, you'll you'll sometimes run into stuff like that. But on the editorial side, please, please, you're going to tell me that the the reporters don't know the opinions of the boss. OK. Um, and you're going to tell me that, by the way, that that culture isn't set at the top. Remember, these are the people who say that the culture is set at the top 
particularly in administrations like with the Trump administration. And if, you know, if he's this horrible person then everybody in the culture is going to be horrible, they're going to behave horribly because he sets the tone. So I guess that doesn't apply in the in the corporate culture over there at Capital Broadcasting Company. Anyway, let's get to the meat of the piece here, because that's really what's important. North Carolina's Republican legislative leaders must be looking through rose colored glasses. That is the only way that Senate leader Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore could see the red wave, they claim. Get it? Rose colored glasses, red wave. (laughs) Uh. The notion that winning a majority of seats in a still gerrymandered legislature, (laughs) still Jerry, a still gerrymandered legislature. Okay, so this is this is one of the premises that he is basing all of this off of, which is that uh, the poor Democrats just can't win because of the maps. We're going to come back to that. So this is one. Okay, this is one of the premises uh, is the gerrymandering. Okay, this is going to be important later. Let me go on. uh, It's a mandate. It doesn't match reality. Uh, In the state House of Representatives, Democrats captured 53 percent of the votes while they only won 43 percent of the seats. So this is one of those. um, uh, What what, uh, there are lies, damn lies and statistics, something like that. Right. In that Mark Twain. Hey, this is fun with math. This is how you can twist data in order to make it say stuff that you want it to say. So, for example, yes, Democrats won 52 of the 120 seats. Okay, they won 43 percent of the total statewide seats, even though they got 53 percent of the votes. When you look at all of the House districts, 53 percent of the votes went to those Democrats. That's irrelevant. That it's literally irrelevant. It doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on how many seats Democrats should get, because every single one of those districts is different. And every single one of those districts has a candidate. I have been saying this for years. And Democrats, when they argue about redistricting and gerrymandering, they never take this into account that the candidates matter. The candidates matter. This is so stupid to compare the total number of votes in all House districts, because if you end up with votes in a House district that is safe, you may not have as many votes there. There may not be as many votes accruing to some of these races because they're already safe seats. They're safe districts, so to speak. So I'm not going to feel it necessary to either, you know, go out and vote. Or if I do go out and vote, I may not hang around that low on the ballot. You know, ballot roll off, they call it, or erosion, right, where people fill out the top of the ticket races and then they leave because they can't be bothered to do any of the the down ballot races, which is not a a good idea, by the way. You should always vote for as many races as you can. Uh, and it, by all means, leave them blank if you don't know the candidates. I have no problem with that. But uh, I mean, so some ballot roll off is to be expected. I would prefer that than people casting votes when they you know don't know anything uh, about the candidates. He goes on to say all this in districts so lacking in competition that the winning margin is 77 percent of the seats exceeding 20 percentage points. So and it was like a lot of numbers there for the uh, for the ear to listen to. But basically, you've got three out of four of the House districts were won by like double landslide margins, 20% plus. Again, indicating, right, that you've got a lot of people that went out and voted, but maybe other people that didn't. They didn't feel the need to. And by the way, that goes both ways. I'm not like if you got a Democrat district and they're running unopposed or they're running against somebody that nobody knows, 
right? People may not feel the need to go turn out for that. This is always one of the um, one of the arguments, by the way, when you're trying to strategize whether or not to run candidates in every race in the state that's uh, that's open, or do you target your candidates and resources to specific races and districts? Right? There's there's a debate there because on the one hand, if you like the last time what was it 2018 where we saw all of the uh, all of the districts were contested and everybody made a big deal about how oh look at us we contested every single district and they made it into a positive pr thing but the problem there sometimes is that you end up then diffusing your uh, or spreading too thin your resources and your volunteers your campaign workers and stuff uh yeah that can be a problem anyway i, I know i'm going off uh, on a tangent here uh in the senate Democrats picked up two additional seats. They have 44% of the total seats now, even though they captured 48% of the votes. So what he's arguing here is that is that they need to have as many seats as a percentage of the of the chamber that mirrors the percentage of the votes that they got statewide for that chamber. This is a ridiculous standard. Nobody Nobody would think to compare this, although I, I take that back. Democrats have been saying this on gerrymandering for years now. They use the congressional districts as well. They say, oh, well, you know, you look at all the 13 congressional districts and Democrats picked up, you know, this percentage of votes in all the congressional districts. And it's just an absurd uh, comparison because candidates matter. The districts matter. And if you end up with some weak candidates, people may not end up going to vote for them. Here's a better analogy or comparison. Council of State. How about looking at the Council of State races? Right? Look at those. Who won the Council of State? Well, there are 10 seats. If you're looking statewide, 10 seats, because the Council of State, they're above the legislative races, but also uh, they're statewide, so you don't have this issue with the different districts being drawn and such. So you have more of a, if you want a comparison of how people actually vote statewide for state offices, this is a better uh, comparison, I would submit. And of the Council of State, you got 10 races, so there's some sort of normalization. There's like an averaging that can occur here. You have 10 races, and six of the 10 went for Republicans. Six of the 10. Well, that's... 60%, isn't it? That's a 20% margin of victory. 60-40, right? Oh, you can't really do that. You can't compare it like that. Okay, well, how about let's just take some races then. So he does. He says, well, the Republican legislators have no more of a claim to a mandate than does Governor Roy Cooper. See, now I suspect this is actually what's going on here. I think that the uh, the Democratic uh, uh, royalty up in Raleigh, they are afraid that Republicans are going to argue that they have a mandate. And we're going to come back to that because they kind of do. But I'm going to get back to that. Um, so they're going to argue or they're afraid that Republicans are going to argue there's a mandate for them. And so uh, they're trying to sort of nip that in the bud. This is an offensive aimed at stopping that narrative from calcifying. And uh, they say, look at Roy Cooper. He says, look at Roy Cooper, a Democrat who won a statewide race, non-gerrymandered contest, received more than 2.8 million votes and a victory margin that exceeded any, and he capitalizes that, any statewide candidate. That is actually false. That is false empirically, data-wise, it is false. He did not win by a victory margin that exceeded 
any statewide candidate. Um, you can go to the Board of Elections and you can find out that Roy Cooper won his race against Dan Forrest by about 4%, 245,000 votes. Okay, pretty substantial margin in this tight election. Um, so who else was there? Well, let's see. Next name on the ballot was Mark Robinson. Uh, no, not quite the biggest margin. He he fell short by about a percentage point, 3%. Uh, Josh Stein, Democrat, 0.2% margin. That that may go to a recount. Um, Beth Wood, very tight with 1% margin there. Uh, Mike Causey, almost 3%. Josh Dobson, 1%. Elaine Marshall, 2%. Catherine Truitt, 3%. And then we come to the final two races here that I have not mentioned. First up is the treasurer's race. Dale Falwell won by a 5% margin over the Democratic challenger, Ronnie Chatterjee, or Chatterjee. Um, 274,000 vote difference. That's 30,000 more votes separating Falwell from his opponent. So Falwell did better than Cooper in the margin of victory. You know who did the best in the state, though? I've mentioned his name before, Steve Troxler, the agriculture commissioner. He beat Jenna Wadsworth, the Democrat, by 7% at 414,000 vote difference, a margin of victory. So the premise here that Seth Efron, the, the Capital Broadcast Company's official opinion of the boss man who owns the company that owns WRAL is based on a lie or an error. We'll call it an error. Now, don't make errors when it comes to renting equipment, by the way. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. That's where you need to go, all right? There's a reason they have been voted Best Equipment Rental Store for two straight years now in the Mountain Express Reader's Poll. It's because they're really good, okay? They've got all of the equipment that you could possibly need, stuff like uh, air compressors, scaffolding, large power tools, small power tools, lawn and garden equipment you need to move a whole bunch of uh, earth you know like with all the rains and stuff you're realizing oh my gosh i've got to redirect this water flow this drainage off my property and send it in a different direction uh well go to general equipment rental they will hook you up with the tools that you need to get the job done correctly uh, and they will show you how the tools work that's one of the most intimidating parts of it. Uh, well, I guess aside from getting it back to your place, if it's a very large piece of equipment. <laughs> but uh, uh, one of the biggest challenges is, is like for any size equipment, you're, you're looking at like, well, how do I run this thing? How does it work? You know, if I'm picking up a cement mixer, do I know how to how to work this thing? They'll show you. They want you to have the right tool to get the job done quickly and efficiently. And that means knowing how to use the tool. So go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. It's at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family owned and operated for three generations. They are also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. And they also do equipment service and repair. OK, so uh, if you need some new tools and you want to buy some uh, like uh, the lawn mowers and yard equipment and stuff, they got a ton of it from Husqvarna and Honda. Go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Generalrents.com is the website. Generalrents.com. And uh, think outside your toolbox. So uh, in the piece here, this editorial from the Capital Broadcasting Company, I keep wanting to call it Carolina Broadcasting, but it's not Capital Broadcasting Company by Seth Efron. Um, 
He says that we hear a clear message from North Carolinians in their vote for governor. They want a government that meets the state's needs with quality services and is striving for the best, whether that be schools, health services, economic opportunity, or quality of life. They have had enough of the legislature's wasteful bargain basement mediocrity. Being just okay, muddled, and middling isn't good enough and doesn't meet the expectations of the electorate. Dude, just because you and your friends think something doesn't mean everyone else does. Okay? This is one of the, this is like inside the beltway thinking here. The, you know, the Raleigh royalty, the the royal court up there. Like this idea that, well, we think this thing is true. And all of my friends at the fundraiser, they all thought it was true as well. And so obviously everybody thinks it's true. Seth, Seth, do me a favor and uh, write that up. Uh, Take a note for me and put it down into the latest editorial piece. I could. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, I have no idea. If that's an actual conversation. Full disclosure. I just imagine that. <laughs> I imagine that's how it could play out. Um, I just see a lot of projection. I read a lot of projection here. Like I think this thing is true, so therefore everybody else does. This means he says that there needs to be an end to legislative leaders take it or leave it modus operandi. It is time for legislators to work with the governor and not uncompromisingly against him. By the way, uh, Governor Cooper has zero legislative accomplishments. That is not entirely the fault of the General Assembly, okay? It's not. He really doesn't have anything. Why do you think his whole record was COVID and Medicaid expansion? That's what he ran on. Oh, and Dan Forrest wants you to die. Like, what was really, like, what was his messaging? He's trying to claim some credit for the improved business climate in North Carolina, but we all know that that's because of the tax reforms that the Republicans enacted in 2010 going forward when they finally took control of the General Assembly. And by the way, they were for, they were uh, fought on that by Democrats like Seth Efron and the Capital Broadcasting Company and Roy Cooper, who kept predicting doom and gloom and utter devastation in the state which did not come to pass, which, by the way, when you make these kinds of predictions all the time and you're wrong, we need to stop like giving you any kind of a platform to make these predictions. You, you, you've already lost your credibility. You need to be treated as if you have lost your credibility. It's like the, the Budget and Tax Center is a good example. This is a, a wing of the, uh, the, uh, the, what is it called, the NC Policy Watch crowd. Um, you know, left-wing think tank, and they have this uh, NC Budget and Tax Center, and they push out all of this, you know, far-left uh, economic moon battery, and they were the ones who were predicting that the General Assembly's tax reforms were going to create multi-billion dollar deficits, and in fact, it did the exact opposite. Why anybody would ask them a single question about economic impacts at a state level is beyond me. Do you obviously don't know what you're talking about? <laughs> you obviously, I mean, when you make that kind of a prediction and it goes the other direction by a billion dollars, so you're you were off by two billion dollars. That's pretty substantial, in my view. So he goes on to then reiterate, you know, de- uh, that uh, Republicans need to agree with Cooper on Medicaid expansion and bond issues and school funding. Oh, and even set up a you know nonpartisan redistricting commission, do all of that. Um, and he says that the message from the voters is that they don't want legislators who uh, or sorry, they do want legislators 
who don't spend their time in useless partisan confrontation, but engage in open and honest efforts to work with the governor to achieve the best for North Carolina. And here's the deal. The assumption here built into his uh, argument, the assumption of what is best policy, what is best for North Carolina, this is rooted in a belief of moral superiority that His ideas, the Democrats' ideas, these are the best things. And so you guys need to agree with us because these are the best things. And you need to just stop fighting him because you're wrong and he's right. Oh, and now that he got some votes and won re-election, he's obviously right and he has all these people behind him. Oh, and here's some stats that I'm going to use to back up this argument, but all those stats are garbage, as I outlined, right? They're all garbage. The premise that he he builds all of this off of is that Roy Cooper uh, had a bigger margin of victory than any other statewide candidate. And so therefore, he has more of a mandate. And in fact, that's not true. There are two Republicans that actually had more of a margin of victory. And Steve Troxler, the agriculture commissioner, he actually beat Cooper in the total votes counted too for him. So like uh, you're wrong on just so many levels. But that's the, you know, again, that's the nice thing about having this gig is you can just keep writing the same thing over and over again. And I guess you keep your job no matter what. Andy Jackson, uh, Dr. Andy Jackson from Civitas, uh, he goes head on into this uh, argument that you're starting to hear from Democrats that this is all due to gerrymandering, that 2020 is still the result of Republican gerrymandering. He said this does not fit reality, though. As you may recall, he says, Progressives sued the General Assembly last year, claiming that the maps drawn in 2010, uh, which Republicans freely admitted to drawing to advantage their candidates, just like the Democrat maps in 2000 were designed to advantage Democrats. Uh, these these were illegal, though, under the North Carolina Constitution. OK, um, and in a pair of cases, Common Cause versus Lewis for state legislative districts and Harper v. Lewis for the U.S. congressional districts. Um, The courts forced the General Assembly to adopt an open map drawing process in which partisan data was not used. Well, other than what legislators could carry in their heads, at least. See, this is one of the it's one of the dirty secrets like, oh, we're not going to use partisan data to draw the maps. Okay, but you do know your district. And so you have an idea of what areas are heavy supporting districts and heavy opposing districts for you and your campaign, right? The lawmakers know this stuff. This is this is why it is not possible to to get the politics and the partisanship completely out of the redistricting process. It's impossible because everybody has knowledge unless you're going to go like the original route that California went, which was anybody with any kind of political experience Uh, They were banned from participating in the redistricting commissions. And what happened? They got steamrolled by the partisans who did. And they would show up at these meetings and like, oh, we're a community of similar interest with this other community over there. And they set up all these, you know, fake nonprofit groups and community groups and websites and stuff to convey this idea that these areas were the same and they were of like interest. And so then the people who had no idea about politics were like, oh, well, they have a website. I guess they're not. You know, not lying to me. Okay, we'll put you in the same district. Aha. 
but you got rolled. Like, by the way, ProPublica did an entire expose on all of this years ago, if you want to look that up. Uh, So this is why you can't get partisanship out of the redistricting process, because the people who are drawing the maps have knowledge of the districts, personal knowledge. So even if you're not running computer programs to find all of these, you know, uh, voting patterns in order to to make the districts as safe one way or the other as you can, people are still going to know some stuff. But what everyone is sort of agreeing here is that, well, as long as no one, you know, can use the software to do it, we're all just going to have to rely on what's in our head. Then it opens up the opportunity for you making some mistakes that benefit me. And I'll just have to be really good and, you know, brush up on all my data (laughs) so I don't make the same mistakes that you do. That's where everybody seemed to be when they drew these maps. Okay, so while there were some disagreements on particular districts, the process was widely praised. For example, Senator Jeff Jackson down in Mecklenburg County, Democrat, is considered a redistricting reform hawk among Democrats. He said, quote, these are the fairest maps. This was the fairest process in North Carolina in my lifetime. The fairest maps in his lifetime. But a fair process doesn't always create fair results. I'll come back to that in a minute. First, uh, right now, going on through December is the Black Friday deals at Mattress Man. So obviously, we got the triple zero deal going on, zero money down, uh, zero interest for you know two years, zero payments for 90 days. But also right now, get yourself a free box spring from uh, the Biltmore Collection. Okay. You can also pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. These things have the wireless remote, so you can, you know, raise it with your smartphone app, uh, raise the head, raise the feet, total adjustability. Also, they have the bed in a box gel hybrid. This is a queen size gel hybrid mattress, just $299. Grab and go. Pull your truck up to their warehouse. Take it, throw it in the truck, you're good to go. Two ninety nine. Great idea for uh, folks who are coming from out of town. You need a quick bed <laughs> for them. Although, don't tell Governor Cooper that you're, you may be violating the, uh, uh, the capacity limits in your home. So, Mattress Man, locally owned and operated, four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide, though they have local five-star delivery service, and they have sleep consultants that are going to help you pick the right bed for you, whether it's the Biltmore Collection from Restonic, made in Fayetteville. Uh, These are the mattresses at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn, Um, or maybe it's the Nature's Spa line from uh, Paramount Sleep, and these are featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. So, uh, go to Mattress Man. Or go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, and experience the difference. You got a 120-day comfort guarantee you can't lose. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. All right, so Dr. Andy Jackson at the Civitas Institute, he says, A fair process when it comes to redistricting does not always create fair results, especially if the definition of fair is that your party wins more seats. Right. This is this is why I always say whenever we talk about districts and uh, gerrymandering, like Democrats definition of fair maps is when they win. That's a fair map for them. Okay, they call these maps fair, for example, in Buncombe County. And there are no Republicans now able to win an elected seat on the Buncombe County Commission. Those are fair maps, according to Democrats, Um, as the common cause v. Lewis case made its way through the courts. He says, I noted how Democrats will likely not be satisfied with the nonpartisan process that the case resulted in. 
And here was a quote from an earlier piece. With partisanship not considered, Democratic gains in the state legislature under the next round of redistricting will be relatively modest. That's because it requires an active consideration of partisanship for them to overcome political geography. What does that mean? I just went over in that piece from WRAL's parent company, right? The editorial from Seth Efron says that, oh, we're going to have look at all of these House districts in the state. And uh, they got a certain percentage of the total vote among all those districts. So therefore, they should get that many seats. Okay, well, well, what is that premised on? Partisanship, right? Partisanship. You're looking at the vote totals by partisan identification, by party ID. And you're saying because people voted for Democrats at this level, they need to have that many seats. You are relying on partisan data, which they say you're not supposed to. <laughs> When you draw the maps, see, they want it both ways. They want it both ways. Um, Candidates matter. Here's a great example of it. House District 43 in Cumberland County. Okay, the district is currently represented by Representative Elmer Floyd. The Civitas Institute has what's called a partisan index. They do is it's called the CPI, the Civitas Partisan Index, which is really interesting, by the way. You can go look at your county and find out where it goes, you know, Republican or Democrat in the elections. Well, this guy's district, uh, Elmer Floyd, uh, not the guy from Bugs Bunny, but Elmer Floyd, his district uh, before the map redraw was a D plus 23. That is a very, very safe Democrat district. Okay. 23 percentage points in the favor of the Democrat. Okay. After the maps got redrawn, it went to a D plus one. So it's a toss up now. D plus one is very close. That is now a competitive seat. But Democrats should win it most of the time, right? It's still plus one Democrat. Floyd is a relatively moderate Democrat with a lifetime uh, Civitas Action Freedom Score of 33.18. So he's just the kind of candidate with enough crossover appeal to carry a close district. Okay? He's not, he's not some, you know, flaming lefty. He's not a rabid righty. Uh, he's... He's sort of in the middle. He's a Democrat, but he's willing to go along with some Republican measures. However, in the primary, Democratic voters picked somebody else. They primaried him, right? Kimberly Hardy, an instructor at Fayetteville State University who ran on a progressive agenda, and she won. Now, that progressive agenda may have excited Democratic primary voters, but it was political kryptonite for moderate and conservative voters in the district. And she lost that D plus one seat by almost four points. Candidates matter. Given the political geography of North Carolina right now, with Democrats relatively closely packed in urban counties, map drawers are going to have to actively seek to advantage Democrats to create a map in which they have an advantage in at least half of the state legislative districts. This, this is the same argument I've been making in the congressional race here in uh, western North Carolina uh, when you know they redrew the map for the 11th and 10th districts, the congressional districts, and they put Asheville all into one district again. And there were a lot of people that were like, oh, we're going to win now. We can win now. And I'm not so sure because you still got to go through your Democratic primary. And Democrats are not sending people to the general election that are moderate. They're just not doing that. And when you send somebody up who is 
you know, all for the cause and down with the struggle for the progressive agenda, they're not going to win a lot of those races. The other uh, uh, component here is the way you draw those lines in order to affect or induce the outcome that you want. In this case, in the 11th Congressional District, they were floating the idea to draw the district and have it snake its way all the way up to capture App State. That's, <laughs> I'm not kidding. They had run, there were proposals floating around the General Assembly to have the 11th Congressional District have Asheville and uh, App State, Boone, right, to have the both of the colleges. That's why they wanted them. So they have both of the college populations into one district, and that would give them one seat. Well, how do you get there? How do you get to that kind of a decision that, hey, you know what? We should snake this district all the way up to Boone. You got to know the partisan makeup of the people you're trying to draw into the district, which, again, you're not supposed to be doing. You guys have been saying we can't do that. You want to do it. You want to do it for yourselves. That's what's going on here. Actively trying to advantage a political party when drawing legislative maps, that's gerrymandering. And that's that's what they want. That's what Seth Efron was arguing for while bad-mouthing gerrymandering, saying, well, that's the only reason you guys won. You know, if we could gerrymander, we'd win too. Like, yeah, exactly. That's And you guys said you're not supposed to look at the partisan data. And now you want to look at the partisan data because you want to draw the maps that help you. We get it. We get it. Then there's this from John Hood. He takes a different approach. He's with the John Locke Foundation, chairman of the JLF. He says, uh, Roy Cooper's ability to convert the ballots of North Carolinians uh, who voted in 2020 into policy achievements is going to be limited unless he alters his approach to do the uh, to the job. Rather, like it or not, our state's constitution divides policymaking authority. The state does not have a unitary executive. We got the Council of State, these 10 different executive level offices, none of which, including the governor, possesses as much power as the legislative branch does. A lot of the duties and powers of those elected executives are actually grants of authority from the General Assembly. They aren't specified by the Constitution. North Carolina's governors have long been ranked among the weakest in the country when it comes to formal powers, even after they got the veto and the ability to serve more than one term. I mean, you think the governors are weak now. (laughs) A couple decades ago, they had no veto and they can only do one term. Okay, like the General Assembly has been the most important body. But of course, now the Republicans took control of it. Now they're like, well, we want the governor to actually be more powerful. We would prefer that now. (laughs) It's it's a completely principled stand. Um, More importantly, he says, Governor Cooper will continue to face Republican majorities in the General Assembly, larger now in the State House, slightly smaller in the Senate, uh, and won't have like-minded executives in posts such as State Superintendent of Public Instruction. This, to me, is one of the most overlooked keys in the Cooper uh, first term, but also in now going into his second term, is the Superintendent of Public Instruction. That seat was held by Democrats since Reconstruction. Mark Johnson, who uh, did not run for re-election, he won four years ago. He's the first Republican to hold the seat. And uh, now, uh, uh, Catherine Truitt, right, Kathy Truitt, she won, uh, and she's a Republican, and so now she's going to keep that seat in Republican control as well. And this is a pretty big deal. This seat specifically. Why? Because governors are so weak 
that they have to rely on these other uh, departments or agencies or the legislature even to pass laws so they have some sort of a resume enhancement, right? Jim Hunt says I you know, he, he he continues to be you know labeled as the the education governor and everybody loves Jim Hunt and his education task force and uh, all of his lobbying on behalf of the education system and everything, but he can't do anything on his own. He couldn't. He couldn't do any of that. He had to have other people in other offices help him. And at the uh, the board of uh, education level, right, these are appointments that the governor makes. But also on that board is the lieutenant governor, also now a Republican, Mark Robinson, the new lieutenant governor. Um, so he's going to be on the board of education. Uh, but you also have the, the superintendent of public instruction, a Republican. And so now Cooper can't use the K-12 education system and the board of uh, governors, the board of trustees with the UNC system as well. Like it's hard for him to claim credit for any of these things because the Republicans are the ones who are in charge of those agencies. And that, that means he has very little legacy so far. Uh, John Hood goes on to say, as for the judicial branch, increasingly the site where our most contentious policy battles are being fought, the GOP won all five court of appeals seats on the ballot plus at least two of the three Supreme Court contests, inviting and then settling collusive lawsuits to force policy changes on an unwilling legislature, a play that Governor Cooper and his allies have used in the past, no longer seems like a slam dunk. This is a great observation. By by taking control of the Court of Appeals and and winning as many seats now on this on the state Supreme Court, this sue and settle approach that the Democrats have been employing, it now gets short-circuited because you don't have the courts to back your play because the Democrats have been using the courts as a super legislative body since they were able to get control of it through various elections and retirements and such. Uh, and so once they got control, then they started suing and settling and enacting policy and rule changes without legislative approval. The legislature has sued, but then guess who hears the cases? Right. The state Supreme Court. <laughs> so you see the problem. Uh, and so now this may have been, uh, I'm hoping that this may now uh, be fixed to some degree. I don't know if it gets fixed completely, but to some degree, I hope it does. Uh, speaking of degrees, there are not going to be a lot of them on the thermostat uh, this uh, winter. So you're going to want some cold weather gear. Do not attempt that segue at home, by the way. That was for professionals only on a closed course. Old Grouch's Military Surplus is the place for you to get cold weather gear, and you're going to find it at better prices uh, than at most outdoor stores. Head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. He's got wool sweaters, military field jackets in solid green and camouflage, wool and fleece toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets, everything you need for winter. He's got military-grade thermal underwear as well. So if you work outside or you're a hunter uh, and you need to dress warm for the elements, get yourself over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus and then peruse all the other stuff he's got in there. I mean, you can spend hours in there. This is a great place, by the way, to look for uh, uh, Christmas ideas, Christmas, uh, gift ideas for people who are pretty tough to buy for. You know, he's got all sorts of Really unique items. And by the way, if you're thinking about uh, getting rid of some of your stuff, uh, you, you need to clear out some of your surplus, 
uh, check in with Old Grouch's military surplus. He's always looking for stuff. Oldgrouch.com is the website. His shop is open Monday through Saturday, and he's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun on Main Street in downtown Clyde. John Hood at the John Locke Foundation says that he is far from the only person to list Roy Cooper's challenges and conclude that his best course of action over the coming months is to look for reasonable accommodations with Republicans who face a similar reckoning with reality about their ability to enact new policies over gubernatorial vetoes. Yeah, so maybe we see some sort of a a thawing in the uh, perpetual gridlock going on, but if Roy Cooper keeps making Medicaid expansion uh, the demand that he you know uses to veto everything, then we're not going to see any any change. And he's going to have to decide whether that's what he wants his legacy to be, you know, Governor Veto. And maybe it is. Maybe they parlay that into his Senate run. I, I suspect that's where this is heading. He's going to run for Senate uh, at some point in what, 2022 would be the next seat. Uh, or 2026, I guess, would be the next one after that. Um, and so if he's out in 2024, then this might then give him two years to start running for U.S. Senate. And maybe that's the play. And maybe being the guy who opposed the GOP at every turn, maybe that's his pathway here. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. But what do I know, right? I'm just a little old podcaster here. Uh, John Hood says, some of the potential deals I have heard around the state capitol strike me as highly improbable. The General Assembly is not going to give Cooper Medicaid expansion. (laughs) And I don't know how many more times people need to hear this. Republicans have a fundamental disagreement with the idea of expanding this program. Hood says, uh, given that most new Medicaid recipients as part of the expansion would be able-bodied, childless adults, conservatives think such a direct handout would be unwise and unfair regardless of of how it's financed. This is a fundamental disagreement. Like people who say, oh, the Republicans need to, they need to hear us. They need to listen. Like we heard you. We just disagree. (laughs) We disagree. We don't think it's wise. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. I've done shows on Medicaid expansion over the years and why this is not a great idea. You're going to be putting a whole bunch of new able-bodied people that are, you know, they can work. You're putting them onto the Medicaid rolls. And what and by the way, you're getting reimbursement rates as the service providers at a higher level for some of these people. And so if you're a provider, what do you think that incentivizes? Well, let me take the new people. And now the new people are competing with the original enrollees on Medicaid. And those are the people that are actually you know, disabled. They're orphans, widows like that was the whole point, right, was to help kids, single moms to help them with health care expenses. That was the purpose, not to help young, able-bodied people that don't want to work, you know, get Medicaid. There's just, it's a perverse incentive that you're setting up. Okay, um, not, I'm not going to go uh, in depth. Maybe I'll come back and do a whole show on Medicaid expansion in the future, but now is not the day. The best subject for negotiation, John Hood says, is the state budget. Uh, he says that the governor and the legislature can and should hammer out a deal on school funding, public employee pay, and coping with the COVID recession. Both sides are going to have to give ground. Uh, That's the policy outcome that voters chose this year. Now, Ray Nothstein over at Civitas, he says that uh, North Carolina has embraced a conservative agenda once again. 
While national politics may take a leftward tilt, he says, conservatism in North Carolina is on the ascent. One surprise from the election that points to a desire for more conservative policy is the closeness of an attorney general race that was not expected to be competitive. There's only like 12,000 votes, less than 1% that separate Republican Jim O'Neill and Democrat incumbent Josh Stein. Stein is expected to win, but he outspent O'Neill by a ratio of 11 to 1. And that's obvious considering how many mailers I got from him. Um, It is often heralded, uh, Stein is often heralded as a rising political star. He's frequently anointed by many political prognosticators to be the next governor of North Carolina uh, or a U.S. senator. Strong support for O'Neill, though, showed just how much the rule of law message resonated with voters and predictions of a blue wave were mere fallacy. In fact, Republicans beat expectations in most every council of state race. They won six of the 10, as I mentioned earlier. They've got uh, potentially the ability here to pick up three U.S. or state Supreme Court seats and expand the House majority in the legislature. The results reveal a vitality for conservatism, he says, across the state. The president's improvement with minority voters... Uh, particularly in the Sun Belt, exposed the media's continued inability to grasp the depth of his support. And on top of that, the Republican Party, frequently labeled as a party for the rich, is now morphing into the party of the working class under Trump. That is, of course, I would add, if the elites or the establishment don't block it from happening. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm afraid we're going to see some uh, echoes of the uh, the Tea Party, uh, what uh, you know, what was initially sort of a, a mutiny against the establishment, the GOP establishment, uh, and that was you know put down by Mitch McConnell. You remember when Mitch McConnell was like the worst person in the world? <laughs> you remember that among Republicans? Oh, they hated him. A lot of Republicans hated Mitch McConnell, but now, oh, now he's cocaine Mitch, right? He's the uh, what apex predator. They like all of these these insults that they always come up with against the guy somehow or another just sound cooler than the last insult. You know, Um, by the way, if uh, your house is still on the market, I'm not trying to be insulting to your real estate agent, but maybe you need a new one. If your house has been on the market for a really long time, get it sold, get it sold quickly and for more money. And you do that by getting Rowena Patton to sell it for you. She outsells 99 percent of the realtors in the state of North Carolina, put her and her team to work for. For you. The phone number 333-4483. That's 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. That's uh, mountainhomehunt.com. And remember, uh, all veterans, active duty, retirees, also police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, and educators, you can keep 25% of the Realtor Commissions through the Homes for Heroes program. Only Rowena in Asheville is a member of this program, this national program, uh, the Homes for Heroes program. Go call Rowena today. Buying or selling, the only agent that I called is Rowena Patton. 333-4483. Call her and then start packing. So Ray Nothstein from Civitas says that it is still possible that conservative candidates could end up sweeping uh, all of these uh, judicial races. You've got Tamara Barringer and Phil Berger Jr. Uh, They have significant leads over their opponents uh, for two of the three uh, state Supreme Court seats. Justice Paul Newby, he's got a very slightly, last I checked, it was down to about 950 votes uh, over the incumbent Democrat Chief Justice Sherry Beasley. 
um, absentee ballots still being counted as of this recording. Conservatives appear to have won an overwhelming number of district court races as well, a sign of a growing backlash against the type of judicial activism that has thwarted election integrity solutions like voter ID. Like whatever happened to voter ID? We approve that in our state constitution, yet we still don't have it. Why? Democrats. It's one of the things, by the way, and I'm, I'm, I've not gotten into all of the uh, the various aspects of the you know rigged election and uh, the the you know, stealing of the vote and all of this. Um, I'm still waiting on enough evidence to be presented in a court of law that would flip this uh, flip an election in some of these states. I believe fraud exists. I know fraud exists. I've seen enough stories about it existing. There are people swearing out affidavits about fraud. So we are in this position right now where nobody believes any of this stuff that's going on. Why? Because election integrity uh, measures have been thwarted. And this is a choice. Our society, or at least like 40% of our society, has determined that we don't need very many, if any at all, election integrity measures. And this is what you have. People don't believe the results of the election. Uh, back to Ray Nothstein's piece at Civitas, he says a lot of the governor's political tactics over the last four years were orchestrated entirely around better positioning his party to retake the General Assembly. This was clearly evident in his push for more government control uh, on Medicaid expansion, right? But it didn't work out that way. So now voters reelected Cooper, yes, but it still feels like the scales tipped in favor of a lot of the conservative positions that he actually ran against. Everything that they were lining up for, I mentioned this also with the uh, superintendent of public instruction, it was all geared towards him having a Democratic General Assembly, and now he doesn't. And he's going to have to change course. We'll see if he does. It's up to him. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate it. Give it a positive review. Think about becoming a patron of the program. You get cool stuff, exclusive content. Links are all at thepetecallendershow.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.